Welcome to the podcast for Green Hill Church. You can find out more information about Green Hill Church and how to take your next step with Jesus online at greenhillchurch.com. Amen. You may be seated. I want to thank you for being here this morning. Uh, Cameron mentioned earlier we had an incredible uh, weekend here on campus with Christmas on the Hill and uh, literally over a thousand people uh, flooding through the hallways all over uh, campus ice skating and making s'mores and drinking hot chocolate and doing crafts and playing joust and all sorts of exciting things and uh, man just a special special time uh, for us to rub shoulders with people from our community. If you served in any way shape or form. Would you just stand so we can just honor you and tell you thank you for what you did. Can we just say thank you to all of these that did so much. Man, we're grateful uh, for each of you and for the leadership team that put this together. And uh, man, just excited to see the impact over the long term of what uh, God does through uh, that interaction with, with people from our community. Well, this morning, as we uh, are opening God's Word, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5 again this morning. Uh, we, are, we will be looking at the fruit of the Spirit this morning. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, if you, if you think about this idea of the fruit of the Spirit, there, there's some important things for us to understand about it. Now, I'm, I'm grateful for Sarah for making this beautiful, I, I didn't really even know what to call it, and then I, then I heard someone call it a wreath, because this goes beyond wreath, right? Like this is, I just, I just in the first service, I just called it beauty, right? This is, this is beautiful. Now, on this, on this wreath, on this greenery, on this beauty, we, we have some berries. You see, you see the berries, okay? Now, I'm going to spoil it for you, because I'm, I'm close up. These are not real berries. Now, I'm not throwing Sarah under the bus, all right? But in case you didn't know, these are not real berries. And you're like, of course they're not real, right? Like, like you know that, you understand that. Like, there's, there's a reality to, to what's happening here that this is artificial. This isn't real. And as we think about this idea of the fruit of the Spirit, I think it's important for us to understand there's a difference between that which is real and that which is artificial. Now, how many of you in the room are artificial Christmas tree people? All right. Let me, this, the first service, I literally laughed out loud because when I asked that question, like 90% of this side of the room raised their hand and hardly anybody from this side. It was almost as if before they walked in, this, they, they could tell. They're like, oh, those are artificial tree people. We're sitting over here. <laughs> I mean, it was wild. I'm, I'm an artificial tree guy, okay? We, we had one that lasted 12 years, and over the last three years, it kind of gave up the ghosts, all right? It, it, you know how it is. The, tr- the lights start to go out, so you're wrapping new lights around it, and, and then you put the, 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 you know, all the ornaments on it, and then you realize that like, the ones that you wrapped are like dead too, and so it's just, it just makes you mad, right? So we got a new tree this year, an artificial tree. And when you're shopping for an artificial tree, you know the thought that goes through your mind. The, the filter for buying an artificial tree is what? Does it look real? Well, of course it doesn't look real. It's plastic. It's plastic. We understand this powerful truth that what is alive generates life. And that what is not alive does not generate life. But do we understand it spiritually? 
Do we understand it spiritually? Do we, do we understand it as we consider and think through this idea of the fruit of the Spirit? If we were to, to have an apple tree, a, a real apple tree that was in soil and, and it was being nourished, it would produce fruit of its kind. It would produce apples. If we put a tree up here that was an orange tree and it, its roots were in soil and it was being nourished and it was being watered and it had the sun that it needed, it would produce fruit of its kind. It would produce oranges. Put a fig tree, you, you name it, it's going to produce that which it is. It's the same for us as Christians. For the last two weeks, Pastor Casey did a phenomenal job, did he not? In, in teaching through Galatians chapter 5, and I did tell him, listen, buddy, you can preach all of chapter 5, but you leave the fruit of the Spirit for me. And now I'm regretting that because the Lord has used some circumstances in my life this week to produce fruit in my life, if you will. But he said two things that I want to make mention of again this morning that I think are important for us to understand before we look at the fruit. He said this, he said, the spirit always leads to freedom and fruit. In Galatians chapter five, it says, walk by the spirit. It says, keep in step with the spirit. And, and what we see in all of Galatians five in the context of this is that when you walk by the spirit, when you live by the spirit, it will always lead to freedom and fruit. But then he made this other statement. He said, the flesh, because he's comparing and contrasting the flesh versus the spirit in this chapter. And he says, the flesh always leads to legalism or lawlessness. Legalism or lawlessness. And I think this frames for us an understanding of why in the world Paul put this list in Galatians chapter 5. This list is not exhaustive. It's not as if he was saying, these are the, the nine things that you need in your life, and once you have that, you've mastered it. I, I, would, I would argue that hope, that, that mercy, that compassion, those, those are fruit of the Spirit as well. But we have this list, and I think the question becomes, why do we have this list? I, I can see the people reading this um, out of context saying, man, I thought I was free. I thought I was done with working. I thought I was trying to, to, to move away from lists of things, if you will. But I think what Paul's doing is he is putting this list here for a reason. And it's this one word right here. Are you ready for it? Life. Life produces life. That which is artificial produces nothing. And Paul, if you remember, he's talking to these Galatians, these young Christians who have placed faith in Jesus. They've trusted in God's grace. They've given their lives to him. And what Paul has taught them is that you indeed are alive in Christ that Christ is in you, if you remember, that the Holy Spirit, when you've placed faith in Jesus, comes and dwells within you and he breathes new life into you. He makes you alive. But I understand that these Judaizers are coming in saying, yeah, I, I see that you've placed faith, but you need to add to that circumcision. You need to add to that some works of the law and these Jewish ceremonies and all of these things that you need to add to it. And what Paul says is, no, no, if you add to that, you'll be 
enslaved again. You were enslaved to the things of the flesh before, but you will now be enslaved to legalism. You were enslaved to lawlessness, and now you'll be enslaved to legalism, and you won't produce any fruit, if you will. And so this picture of what he's trying to paint is that you are already alive. And because you are already alive, you will produce, you ready, fruit. The theological term, let me, let me, let me tell you this theological term, it's this, regeneration. Regeneration. Regeneration is this, let me, let me define it for you. Regeneration is the radical change in which God brings an individual from a condition of spiritual defeat and death, right? A spiritual defeat and death to a renewed condition of life and holiness. It's what God does in us when we're saved. This is why Jesus, when he's interacting with Nicodemus, the Pharisee, he, he tells Nicodemus, listen, if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, you must be, what does it say? Born again. You must be born from above. You must be born again. You must be, you ready? Regenerated on the inside. In other words, you need to go from death that can produce nothing to life, to life. And so let me, let me go back to this definition of regeneration in light of this picture that the spirit all leads to freedom and fruit and the flesh leads to legalism and lawlessness. Regeneration is the radical change in which God brings an individual from a condition of spiritual defeat, which is legalism. Legalism is a place of spiritual defeat when you think I've got to, I've got to somehow produce this fruit. I've got to produce these berries. It's impossible. And what it does is it leads you to a place of chains because you are constantly being defeated because you simply can't do it. So it's where God brings us from a place of spiritual defeat, legalism, and death, lawlessness. As we practice lawlessness, as we practice the desires of the flesh and live lawless lives away from God's law and God's plan, we will find ourselves dead. But God rescues from that and he renews within us a new condition, a new life of freedom and holiness, which is fruit. Do you see this? And so what I think Paul is doing in Galatians chapter 5 is he's saying, you've already been regenerated by your faith in Jesus, and in you, you have now become alive, and because you're alive, you produce fruit. Over in Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, we see this word regeneration. It says this, it says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. By the way, that's, that's, that's the advent of hope. It's this expectation, it's this desperate longing for the arrival of Christ. He's come, it's, it's Christmas. He saved us, the scripture says right here. When the goodness and kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. We're incapable of producing fruit. We just have to put it in here to make it look like we have. But then it says this, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, here it is, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. 
because he has done this in us, we are now alive. And that which is alive always produces that which is alive, which is fruit. And so we see this truth and we see this reality as the framework, as the background of what God is doing. And so when Jesus says this statement in John chapter 15, or when Jesus says this statement, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. When we hear that verse, it does something within us in our flesh that says, oh my, I have to do something to prove myself a disciple of Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 no. When you bear fruit, your fruit bears witness and proves that you are indeed mine. Watch this. It's an apple that is attached to a tree that shows you that that's an apple tree. It's the fruit of the spirit that is demonstrated and seen in your life that tells others, oh, that person's a follower of Jesus. The proof of the discipleship is not your work. It's the fruit of what God is doing in you. And so this sets the framework for us to help us understand it's the Holy Spirit that completes the work of regeneration within us and accomplishes the work of fruit producing. You can't will it into existence. You can't think it into existence. You can't desire it into existence. It only comes through him. And so now let's look at the list that Paul gives us in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, turn with me there, verse 22 and verse 23, just these two verses. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, same with me, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There is no law. Now, let me, let me look at this from a perspective that I think is very helpful for us. Let me give a few clarifications about this list. Just because your temperament or your personality exemplifies one or more of the fruit on this list does not necessarily mean that you are bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. There are some of you whose temperament is gentle. You're just a gentle person. Praise the Lord for you. But you're flaky and not faithful. Or you don't have self-control. Just because your personality is bent towards one, you can't look at that and say, well, God's clearly at work in my life. I'm good. In the same way, in the same way, your personality does not give you a pass on some of the fruit. I'm going to step on some toes. I'm sorry. You ever, you ever met that, that, that just gruff, grumpy man? I said that in the first service, and man, fingers were like, boom, boom. It was awesome. And I say that because it's funny because it's just funny. I, 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 I see people like that, and I hear people say, well, that's just who I am. That's just my personality. That's just my bent. And, and what I would say back was like, if, if the fruit of 
if the spirit was at work within you, come on, he, he would be softening some edges. He'd be about bringing some gentleness within you and some kindness. There, there are some of you who would say, well, I'm just a person who sees things as black and white, and if people don't like it, that's fine, and that's on them, but I'm black and white, and this is just how it is. And listen, I'm all about truth, but there is a way to communicate truth that is loving, that bears the fruit of Jesus in the way that he came to the woman caught in adultery. And he came to those who were weak. And what I'm saying is this, is there's a difference between our personalities reflected in this list and the spirit reflected in this. And here's how I think we know the difference. You ready? It's when we get squeezed. When we get hard pressed. Our personalities don't do much for us in those moments, do they? What's really on the inside is what comes out. And if it's the Holy Spirit doing a work where he's growing some fruit and he's producing some things that you can't produce on your own, then all of a sudden there's evidence. There's fruit of the Spirit. So let's look at this list. Can we do that? Let's, let's walk through this. The first one is this love. Love. The word love is the word in the Greek that says agape. There's different words that define different aspects of love, but the word agape was a word that was not used very frequently at all before it was used in the New Testament. And Paul began to use this word agape to define and describe a love that was really um, uh, incomprehensive. It's, it's a love that, that can't really fully be known until it's seen, demonstrated. And the scripture says that Christ, or that God demonstrated his love for us, his agape for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That takes a whole new meaning of love, doesn't it? When someone dies for another one. Agape love, C.S. Lewis describes it this way. He said, love is never wasted, for its value does not rest upon reciprocity. In other words, it doesn't matter what is given in return. Love is going to be demonstrated and given regardless of what's received. You see, someone can say, well, I'm a loving person. I understand that. But if it's a love that is on the flesh, that is rooted in self, it does rest upon reciprocity. It's a love that says, what are you going to do for me? I'll love you if. But the love that the Spirit bears within us is a love that says, I'll love you because God loves you and because God has loved me. And can I just say, church, this morning that marriages break because we're trying to love out of a self-generated love rather than a Holy Spirit-generated love. The self-generated love says, I'm gonna love my spouse as long as they um, do what I need them to do or provide what they need me, what I want them to provide or whatever it is. It's a love based upon what is given in return. But a Holy Spirit-generated love says, irregardless, I love you because you're my spouse because we're in this covenant relationship together. You see, those who have been regenerated, made alive, the scripture says that this love has been poured out. Imagine a bucket, like if you have a big giant bucket, it's been poured out into your life, the scripture says. 
Romans 5, 5 says God's love has been poured into our hearts. It's been dumped out and it's overflowing out of us. And so it says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So we're able to love as God loves, unconditional. Not because we can do it, because it's the Spirit at work within us. The second one is this, joy. Joy. Joy is more than just being bubbly. Joy is rooted in the same word that grace is rooted in. And there's a connection between joy and grace because it's only in understanding grace and the freedom that we have in Christ that we can truly be joyful. It's the only way we can truly experience joy. You see, our joy is marked in the confidence in knowing that God has overcome and that any powers that stand against him have no weight. They have no power because God has already overcome everything. The final enemy, scripture says, is death, and God has already overcome death. It's, it's why my mind is blown every time I deal with a family who is a strong believers, the Holy Spirit's alive in them. There is joy in the midst of death. And it's like, how is this possible? It's because God has overcome. Because the Spirit is bearing within them a fruit of joyfulness in the midst of tragedy. Listen, whatever seems to be defeating in your life, know this, that God has overcome. It has no claim on your life. But rather, in the middle of the pain and the sorrow, there can be a joy that sprouts within your heart that begins to overflow out of your heart and out of your life and into your words. And what was unseen is now seen because God is faithful. Because God is faithful. Listen, church, the Spirit of God fills us with joy while our flesh depletes us of joy. Our flesh turns to things and looks at things and say, man, that will fill me with joy. But all it does is fill you with happiness temporarily, and then it leaves you empty, craving for more, and you're never satisfied. But the Spirit births something inside of you that is satisfied, where you live in satisfaction and joy. Got to move on. Number three, peace. Got a peaceful, easy feeling. See, it's more than that. It's a state of wholeness. It's a state of rightness with God. The scripture says that we are enemies of God, that as sinners, the wrath of God is upon us. But in Christ Jesus, that has been satisfied, that that has been taken care of, and that we are at peace with God. And because of that, we can be at peace with mankind. That can't happen without God doing that in us. You see, it transcends a normal understanding. It's a peace that we cut, carry that others look and say, how is that possible? It reminds me of the story of the disciples on the boat in the storm and the waves are literally crashing against the boat and coming over the side of the boat and they're freaking out and they're screaming and they're, they're all worried about their lives and they're like, man, where is Jesus? You remember this? Where's Jesus? He's laid out in the boat taking a nap. And I love it because he's not taking a nap because he doesn't care. He's taking a nap because he's in control. They go and wake him up and Jesus says, be calm. And the wind and the waves, they stop. 
Jesus was at peace in the midst of the storm because he knew who was in control. And he looks at those disciples who were flipping out in the middle of the storm, and he says, you have little faith. Who are you resting in? When we rest in the flesh, when we rest in the the self, the anxiety and the tension and the worry and the, the panic and all of the things that are associated with that, they increase. But when we rest in the one who is overcome, who has power over all things, who's sovereign over all things, there is a peace within us that defies understanding. See, peace allows us to recognize that God is in control. John chapter 16, verse 33 says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace and in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Number four is this, patience. Patience, can we just skip this one? All right, good. Um, In a survey of 700 families, their top struggles, losing my patience with my kids was at the very top. You've been there, haven't you? You've been there. Listen, you know it, but let me remind you, patience can't be generated by self. It just can't. I thought I was a very patient man until I had a son. (laughs) And God said, I need you to bear the fruit of patience in your life, so I'm gonna give you a son. And God's been at work in my life ever since. Watering, feeding, nourishing, cultivating, growing patience. Patience, listen church, allows you to remain engaged. When I'm impatient with my son, I'm disengaged from my son. Patience allows you to remain in control. When I've lost my patience, some words came out of my mouth that I was not in control of. Patience allows you to listen. You see, my impatience with my son was as a result of some things going on in his life he needed a daddy to listen to. Patience allows you to respond in love and kindness, the fruit of the Spirit. They're tied together. You can't have one without the other. That leads us to number five, kindness. What is kindness? Kindness is uprightness or benevolence. It's the ability to act for the welfare of those taxing our patience. Kindness. I don't know if you've ever been in this spot. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth has been your mentality. You harmed me, so I'm going to harm you. You yelled at me, so I'm going to yell at you. And this, quite honestly, is what happens in a lot of marriages. It, it, it's a, you, you did this, and I was hurt, so I'm, I'm intentionally or unintentionally responding in this way to harm you. And it cycles and it fuels until... It gets out of control. While the self says it's an attitude of an eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, the fruit says of the spirit. It says if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. This is kindness. This is something that only God can do in us. But isn't this the kindness that God has demonstrated and shown for us? Listen to Romans chapter 2 verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance? This is what the kindness of God has done for us. And the kindness that we demonstrate to others is almost like a magnet that draws people into this understanding of grace. 
It can only happen through the fruit of the Spirit growing in you. Number six is this, goodness. Goodness, what is goodness? Goodness is excellence of character. It's interesting, the word goodness here in the New Testament, it's only used four times, and that by Paul, it's not used anywhere else. There, there's a uniqueness to this idea of goodness. We, we look at our size, and I, I'd be willing to admit, everyone in here would say, if I, if I were to say, hey, are you a good person? I think everybody in here would say, I'm, I'm, a, good, I'm a good person. But it's interesting, when Jesus is interacting with the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler looks at Jesus and he says, good teacher. And Jesus stops him and he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And I think that's an important thing for us to understand and wrap our minds around where we are comparing goodness by how good am I compared to the person next to me when God says, no, 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 only I'm good. Only I'm good. Which means this, that the only way that we can produce the fruit of goodness is if God is in us producing it. His goodness, not our goodness. Number seven is this, faithfulness. Faithfulness. This means to be utterly reliable and true to your word, to be consistent. The flesh leads to opportunistic living, while the spirit leads to consistent, faithful living, being true to your word, being true to who you are, resting consistently, pressing into Jesus daily, walking in obedience faithfully to him. And let me just say, just on a side note, this idea of faithfulness, it matters. Have you ever found this principle to to be true? That if you're faithful with the small things, God will then give you more things? Young people, children in the room, and even adults, if you're discontent and frustrated with what you have and you aren't being faithful with it because of that, why in the world would you think that God would give you more? Be faithful with what God has given you and watch him bless. Faithfulness. Number eight is gentleness. Gentleness. And men, I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak into our lives on this one for a minute. Gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is strength under control. Gentleness is where God takes something powerful and he does something special with it where it is safe and it is good. Gentleness. It's a humble spirit. It's the one who doesn't have to be superior to everyone else. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, it says this, A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. You see, God can be the one who, through the power of the Spirit, begins to soften some of the ungentle areas of your life, if you'll allow him. Gentleness. Number nine is this, self-control. You see, Paul starts with love because love is really the the fountain which all the others flow out of. But I would say that self-control is almost like the backstop to say, if you don't have self-control, there's no way that you can practice any of the other ones. Self-control. It's self-mastery or dominion within. Self-control is an inward trait, not an outward trait. It's, watch this, when the Spirit of God has control of your life. 
You see, it says self-control, but really it's spirit control. But it's the spirit that builds within you a discipline to say no to the things of the flesh. This is why Paul says earlier in chapter 5, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Why? Because he's built within you a discipline of self-control. This self-control matters, doesn't it? It matters financially. It matters relationally. It matters in our purity. It matters in our language. It matters in incredible ways. And again, we get frustrated when we lose it, and we get frustrated when we go to that thing again. We lose it, and we, we try, and we try, and try, and, and God's saying, no, 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 no. Let me build self-control in you. Let me do it within you. You see, in our flesh, we are out of control, but in the spirit, we are under his control. And then Paul says this. He says, against such things, there is no law. Do you know that law is meant to deter or to limit? And what he's saying is there's no deterrent and there's no limit Engage and embrace and indulge and enjoy the fruit of the Spirit. Let it flow out of you. Let it grow up so big. Let it be, there's no, like, there's no guilt in any of it. So what do I do? I mean, like, like, like let's just, everybody take a deep breath, right? You're like, ah! <laughs> what do we do? Let me just quickly offer you this. Make sure you have spiritual seed being sown in your heart. Your heart is soil. It's the soil of your life. And you live in a world and a culture where there is all sorts of seed being thrown into your heart. You better make sure that there is spiritual seed, the seed of the gospel, the seed of truth, the seed of the word of God, that it is getting into your heart because it is only that seed that will produce this type of fruit. Parents, grandparents, you better make sure that your kids and your grandkids have the seed of the word of God and the seed of the gospel implanted within their soil, within their heart. Make sure you have the seed, spiritual seed being sown. Another one is this. Make sure you have a spiritual irrigation system. Make sure you have a spiritual irrigation system. Make sure that that seed is being watered. Listen, over in Psalm chapter 1, it said this. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law, the word of God. And on his law, on his word, he meditates day and night. And then watch this. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. And what happens? That yields its fruit in due season. This is the picture. You see, the irrigation system of that day, when he says planted by streams of water, is actually a field, and they would make these rows of irrigation canals, and they would plant the trees next to these irrigation canals so that the trees had a consistent and constant source of water. And he says that person is the person who meditates on the word of God. Make sure you have a spiritual irrigation system consistently being flowed into your heart so that the fruit can grow. Make sure that you embrace the pruning process. This is what the scripture says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he what? He 
prunes. And can I just say to you this morning that if you are walking through a very difficult circumstance in your life, rather than being frustrated with God, could you just maybe shift your focus and say, God, how do you want to prune me through this moment? So that fruit, good fruit, can be born. And then this one, make sure you have a spiritual resting rhythm. Make sure you have a spiritual resting rhythm. Did you know that plants grow because of sunlight? Did you know that? It's called photosynthesis. But listen, if a tree never gets rest from the sun, then the water the tree uses for growth would begin to be used to cool the plant down because it was getting overheated. It needs nighttime. It needs darkness. It needs the rhythm of what God created and designed for it to grow. And listen to what God created. He says this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God created a rhythm of rest called Sabbath. And can I just speak into our hearts and our lives this morning? It's this. Some of us are hindering the growth of spiritual fruit in our lives because we are wearing ourselves out. We aren't practicing Sabbath. We're looking at the culture and we're looking at the world and we're looking and saying we're trying to keep pace and we're trying to keep up for what purpose? Rest. Because it's when we Sabbath that we can cultivate worshipful hearts and we can cultivate repentant hearts. And it's when we cultivate that, that's when the spirit grows fruit in our lives. And then finally this, make sure that you allow your fruit to nourish others. These berries do nothing but look pretty. But real fruit was not designed to just look pretty. It's designed to nourish, to feed others. So watch this. What are you nourishing others around you with? What fruit is being born in your life to nourish your kids and to your, nourish your spouse and to nourish your coworkers and to nourish your neighborhood? And church, I get excited when I think about the fact that there were thousands of people who walked on our campus this weekend who got to taste, come on, that got to taste the fruit of the Spirit as you, the people of God, lived out love in front of them and you lived out kindness in front of them and you lived out mercy in front of them and you lived out goodness in front of them and you lived out self-control, amen, in some of those moments in front of them and you lived out these fruit of the Spirit and they got to be nourished by God himself through you because you allowed the Spirit to do that in you. This is what your family needs. This is what our community needs. This is what the world needs. Listen, we live in a barren wasteland. May we be a garden of fruitfulness, not by our power, but by the power of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that you say that you will produce fruit within us. But God, we recognize that we can't do it on our own. And so God, we ask in this moment that you would just do that. 
Lord, your scripture says that you bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so, God, I pray that in our hearts this morning, you would stir and that you would show and that you would reveal some things that we just need to repent of so that the fruit can be growing in our lives. God, we thank you for it. So, Lord, you have your way in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to respond in song. If God is moving in your heart and you know that you need to just ask the Lord, would you just be willing to just say, God, do whatever you need to do in me to bear the fruit of you, not the fruit of my flesh. Would you have that posture this morning? Let's sing in response. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Green Hill Church. For more information about Green Hill Church, go to greenhillchurch.com. Thanks for listening.